audience. Hello. Hello, audience. Hello. <laughs> I'm trapped in a well. <laughs> a well? A well of regret. Uh-oh. Tell us. I slept inside of a box last night. Where was it? Like in the, in an alleyway or something? Mm-hmm. Really? How'd you end up there? I was going to go see a movie. What movie? I was going to go see Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> and then you had an, a fight with your conscience and it stopped you? And then I got really drunk and I thought I was seeing Pitch Perfect 2, but it turns out I was just panhandling on the street, <laughs> singing acapella versions of songs that I don't know the words to. Did you make any money? I did, but then I spent it all on booze. Oh. Then I fell asleep in a box. And I woke up and I was naked. Nope. Yep. I don't believe your story. You don't believe my story? Dang it. Hey, by the way, there's been a few comments about Maudience, like giving you credit for... Well, that's, that's our... pretty cool. That's our fans. Our fans. fans. We have a cool. devoted Maudience. We do. A devoted Harold and Maudience. Yay, Maudience. So this is for all of you Maudiencers yeah. out there. This one's for this you. This one's for you. Because without you guys, we would not be anything without you guys. We'd just be in a box in an alley naked. Doing a podcast. <laughs> So we're going to review a cool documentary that's on Netflix right now called Atari Game Over. We watched a podcast about a, a video game. We watched a podcast? Oh, yeah. We watched a documentary. If, yeah, it's uh, pretty for cool. For those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Atari was one of the, was the first video game companies and uh, famously... E.T., the video game, which was made back in, what, 83, was is considered the worst video game of all times. Was considered. Was considered. But, but it was uh, mostly, like, lore. It was, like, the, the myth of the E.T. game and how it was literally the worst developed, programmed, designed game ever played. Most difficult to play. Most, like, you know, challenging. But challenging to a point where it's not even playable. And that's what most people cite as the worst game. But like someone was saying in the documentary, most people have never even played the game. Right. They just jump on that bandwagon. Well, but and also the, the, the key point of this documentary is that thousands of copies of this game were dumped in a landfill in like New Mexico. Millions or, or something like thou- thousands, I think thousands, hundreds of, of thousands. Or yeah. Something. And so it's always been people have sort of had this myth of it's out there somewhere and going to dig up these copies of E.T. Atari for years, uh, the former Atari folks denied it. And finally, there was an, a, a guy who just relentlessly pushed the happening of the excavation. And yeah, it there's happened a lot last of like, April. Uh, government hoops to jump through because they're digging in an old landfill right right so they're saying there could be chemicals yeah who knows whatever decaying such and such and they don't know how far they have to dig to get to this you know the games if they're there at all and they compared it to indiana jones yeah and the last crusade or the lost ark where he has to like sort of piece together from old pictures where the 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 photographer is standing in the landfill to the point where the the 
you know, the site would have been in the in the actual yeah, landfill. Yeah, because they had pho- photographic evidence of it actually happening. So it's sort of a mystery and sort of archaeological. Yeah, it's a archaeological dig. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of like parallels to some of Spielberg's movies yep. and stuff. It's it's a very interesting story and a really well uh, produced and directed and edited documentary. By Zach Penn. It's a very uh, well done documentary. Yeah. Zach Penn, who is a, a director writer, but also he uh, he wrote. Um, he's a screenwriter. He's a screenwriter. And a doc. He did a documentary with Werner Herzog about the Loch Ness monster, mm-hmm. which you can watch probably on Netflix or something like he that. He wrote X Men: Last Stand. And I think he wrote one of the uh, the uh, Fantastic Four films. He's written a lot, and he even said that he's written scripts for video games for newer consoles like PlayStation 2 for the movies he wrote mm-hmm. like Wolverine, X-Men, Fantastic 4 and all those games really sucked. Like those games really <laughs> and those are like licensed franchise video games that are made after movies, you know, and so it's like another parallel to him making this movie himself right. because a lot of times licensed video games do suck. Like franchise games are bad. Most of the time, with some exceptions. And it dates back all the way to, like, Super Nintendo. Like, I have an emulator on my phone where I can get Super Nintendo games. And there's so many games. There's Lethal Weapon, the game, for Super Nintendo. Right. There's Demolition Man, the game. There's Alien vs. Predator, which wasn't for the movie, but they sort of just take took both movies that existed at the time of the 90s and made that. Like, there's so many movie games that they made for Super Nintendo and for Sega Genesis. Uh, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. I had, I had the Cliffhanger <laughs> game for Sega Genesis, and it was fucking really hard. And I was a kid, and I remember getting to a certain point where you have to sort of scale up the side of a fucking snowy mountain and there's guys like dropping knives like michael rooker's character or some like bad guy and like you have to sort of michael rooker aka merle yeah and you have to climb up the side of this wall and i got stuck there and i never got past it for sega genesis and you can't yeah and there's no saving there's no memory cards there's no internal hard drive or uh you know hard drive so you couldn't save your progress so i'd die there have to start from the beginning really and i'd never get past that yeah i never got past (laughs) that part as a kid and it drove me fucking nuts well they're like yeah, and it, but it's it's sort of a long tradition of like of shit doing, video games yeah. after movies. After Batman movies. Returns, Batman Forever with Jim Carrey. Oof. I had that game for Sega Game Gear. Did you really? And it sucked. It was unplayable. And I remember they did this thing where it's like you get a ten dollar rebate if you buy the game and mail it in. I remember I got that fucking rebate like four months <laughs> later, and I had long given up on the game, like long given up. And then this shows up, and I was like mad at the ten dollars. I'm like, oh yeah, this thing. <laughs> Fuck this, this thing. And <laughs> fuck that game like you i couldn't beat the first level That's bad. it was it's really bad PR. it's it must be like a rush to get all this stuff done it's simultaneously because it that's what happened well i just want to quickly go through some of his credits because i was just looking zach penn we're talking yeah zach penn he he did write x-men the last stand he also wrote the incredible hulk screenplay with ed norton he did the story for avengers uh he wrote transformers 5 uh he or no he's writing transformers 5 pacific rim 2 pacific pacific rim 2 um the karate kid 2 i can't believe they're doing a 2 of the next generation the argonauts ready player one dirty dozen the reboot of that he's writing well ready player one that the guy who wrote that book is in the documentary that's right yeah the atari game over documentary yeah so yeah, but I, most of it's just sort of like 
product shilling and they have to make a video game and it's not about making a video game it's just having more merchandise to right. sell so that like almost will always compromise the quality of the gameplay well and, and, the graphics. and at the time you know because i remember very vividly the time period like it where pong was like a big thing from atari and everyone was playing that and then all of a sudden they came out with you know, Yar's Revenge, and they had. Well, I it was think, like Centipede and Gauntlet. Centipede and, Gauntlet, yeah, uh, and Space Invaders. It and was that whole initial Space Invaders, Galaga, and, right? Yeah, all and, those, all those games. And they started doing like coin game to home video game, porting and that was games. like porting it, and that was kind of like an easy in for them. Mm-hmm. But this guy who was the creator of Yar's Revenge, um, Howard Warshaw, who also created the et game that's gotten all the shit well, he was their ringer at the time he was a ringer he was very successful and he was kind of a genius he, he they didn't yep. have any history of this so the guy was just he says in the documentary that he read like manuals he read and the atari manual the program and just wrote because he's an engineer yeah. by trade and so he just sort of took all that knowledge and all that genius if you will like he's like it's like that scene in uh avengers where it's like when did you become an es- uh, an expert on astrophysics he's like last, last night. night yeah he last was like, night. Well, well the thing is is this is a very different time this is pre-internet this is pre this is the early 80s this is pre all, any all the games you're thinking of nothing this is just like very basic have you ever seen pong i mean it's very basic we all know games. pong and it was the first uh, <laughs> entertainment home console it yeah. changed the world and it's funny because i think about that and i think like there's no atari equivalent of a ps4 and xbox one you know like right. the original home console entertainment company is basically a relic like literally being dug up like there's that you think there would be since they were the originals there'd be like the atari 5000 yeah that runs the graphics card and has internal storage and is like a ps4 but the atari but it's like it's not the, f- the fucking case no they were no. like hung up to dry they were the first one you know like he said the penguin the first penguin in uh-huh is the, usually the one that is oh eaten. yeah the first penguin the yeah first who penguin. dives into the water is the one that gets eaten by the sail si- the seal. seal but all but someone's always got to do that kind of yeah. like you said vanilla ice vanilla you know? ice He's was like the, the first penguin ice. of like song sampling right he was literally like vilified it publicly shamed and publicly like hung As and then was now Howard Warshaw. and now everybody does that right everyone has samples an old song and makes it a fucking hit everybody and nobody does gives it. a shit no nobody gives, gives a, a shit, shit. Vanilla, vanilla ice whether you like him or not he got he was fucking ruined he I was know. ruined by the the whole under pressure uh fucking you know queen sample right? right it's a shame which is too bad because it was a good song and and then he also got screwed by suge knight too he got he got fucked that poor guy yeah he was a heroin addict and ended up signing to icp's record label oh and, yeah you know that poor fucking guy yeah i feel nothing but you know sorry for that guy i know but so howard warshaw was really a scapegoat and, and they talk about it in the documentary that he uh, had five. They gave him five weeks to develop this game because they wanted to, to get it out by ET. Christmas. They wanted it out for the Christmas, you know, push the Christmas, you know, market, and so you, they could sell a hundred, you know, three million copies. Because Yars Revenge was the first original non-ported game to sell a million copies. Yeah, which is something to know because he designed that and developed that all himself. Right, and he had another game that also sold a million plus. So like he was hitting, like he was batting a thousand at this, and they were all original concept games like he said he wrote a storyboard for yars revenge which is about these bugs and you have to kill these space bugs or whatever and when you look at the game it looks so fucking beta it, it you know does. but it's like everyone in that movie
movie that's like 40 plus is like this changed my fucking yeah. life man yeah well i mean i remember it i i remember though the time and how revolutionary it was and i remember when the et game came out it's funny because we were talking about it. I remember when, vividly when the ET came game came out, and I remember many friends talking about it that they were getting it and they got it for Christmas. I don't remember the conversations about how bad it was at the backlash. all. Well, like they were saying, like it wasn't. It was so bad that people were returning it, and that's what was like the downfall. And then so. Uh, what's his name? Ray Kassar, who was the CEO, was saying it's like Atari at the time. Yeah, yeah. at the time, was saying like fucking et did not ruin atari like atari committed suicide it's just sort of like the perfect timing that this game didn't work right and everyone was mad at the game and everyone was mad at the game because they had such a personal connection to the movie right 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 because it's such a heartfelt and moving experience that when you get the game and it has none of the same heart or the same feel and you're like what am what the fuck am i doing with this game like i'm running away from the scientist and then the then the doctor's trying to help me or the fbi agent's trying to get me and then like and you keep falling into holes and pits and shit and there's just like none of the same heart but at the time you know what's his name uh howard the developer had such like highfalutin ideas of making this story game he even met with steven spielberg he flew in a learjet and met with steven spielberg and steven spielberg said like can't you just make something like pac-man and it probably would have made more sense. Might have made more sense. But to those... do like an arcade game as opposed to like some sort of story based. Like you can do story games now, but with Atari, like to try to tell a story on Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, and to have five weeks to do it—that's the problem. It's like five weeks. Yeah, a whole game to sell in stores, and, and have he did it. Children play, and he did it. And and a lot of people in the documentary talk about how it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't, and like remember they talked. They talked about how there were a lot of little Easter eggs in it, Mm -hmm. like a little odes to the Indiana Jones game, odes to. Well, because he did the Indiana Jones game, (laughs) right? uh, Howard, he so that they were like, like, yeah, if you can do the Indiana Jones game, and that sold a million or three million or some, uh, you know, crazy number, number, yeah. And then so they literally brought him in, and it's like, and he went and like met with Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg played the ET game and like signed off on it. Like, and yeah, they this have is him a go. on videotape saying he yes, likes the game. I like the game. I played the game. It's a good game. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I bless this game. Yeah, like he gives it his passing. Yeah. You know? So I mean, and we've talked about it, we talked about this when we we're watching it, and they talk about it a bit in the film. Atari's reaction was really kind of. It's not the reaction that they would have today. You know, they immediately got scared. They freaked out at the returns and they reacted by not, by sort of folding in. I mean, of course, it wasn't what undid them, but their reaction and then the subsequent dumping of the games. Yeah. You know, today they'd find a new new way to spin it. Okay, like. If you get if you get this right, then you win a this, or, or you, you know, get like be a free something. DLC download, and they'll put a patch in there, and then like re-release like a new update for it, and make it whatever easier. Like there's so many ways, and these big companies now they're like freaking time more like Activision and EA and stuff. They don't give a fuck. No, they're the guys that make you know Call of Duty, Assassin's yeah, Creed, all the AAA hate it. games, tough shit, tough shit, and people keep buying it anyway. Right. Not only do they buy it, they pre-order it. Like there's been this huge push on the internet: don't pre-order your game. 
games. It's bullshit. Like you're not you're you're paying for something that you don't even you haven't even played right. yet. So they're rushing to release it. There's all these glitches and f- like f- fucking like they don't have all like the weapons done or the skins done. And so they sell those separately after you spend seventy dollars on right, this right. game. It's like you're fueling a flawed fucking game sales design you know by yeah. continuing to pre-order games that aren't fucking finished right, you know right and it's true and like i would never pre-order a game like i've never have and i never would never but like th- fuck you guys but there was no power in video game companies back then they were the only game in town and they so they reacted very sheepishly like oh shit they don't like it let's run and hide yeah, whereas shit. like you're saying today people would just fuck it we have all we'll just keep making more and look we'll keep buying it yeah. and i think if they did come out strong and say no we stand by this game mm-hmm. like it it's might have been a different reaction you have to learn how to play it it's a higher difficulty mm-hmm. level we're making an et2 or we're making like whatever spielberg's next yeah come out with a yeah the they'd next come out with thing. another game yeah. and that would because that's what they would do now like they make assassin's creed 3 people didn't really like it so they instantly made assassin's creed black flag right when then which is like the pirate one and people went and bought the fuck out of that game and right like everybody right. liked it you know what i mean so like they just continue to release it that's what they do you know what i yeah. mean they don't go oh fuck we're what do we do we're done we're right. done like f- abort 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 but it was sad because this this guy howard was really his life was ruined in a sense by it i mean he talked he's now interestingly enough a, a therapist in silicon valley he calls and himself really kind of like happy. a nerd therapist yeah and he can speak the very, nerd language yeah he speaks a nerd language and therapy, the therapy language. language so he can do both but he said it took him like 30, 30 years. years to become as satisfied as he was with that initial job but we should say like all those initial engineers and programmers were like rock stars. Yeah, they they talk about that because they go back to the original Atari like building and lot and mm-hmm. stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, this is where we would go." Like on my job interview, I brought a joint and we smoked weed. Yeah, and we would drink and like he's like in the parties all the party. Time. And the guy who uh, the original owner of Atari said he's like, "If we hit this much sales quota, I'd throw them a kegger and yeah, we just yeah. party and there'd be girls and there'd be drinks and it'd be the seventies or like the early like the, the, 80s. the early early eighties. Yeah. So it still kind of looked and felt like the seventies, yeah, like the hair yeah. and the the shikis and stuff, yeah. you know. And they're smoking pot and rolling right. around and then they get up and go make these games and sell millions of copies. Right. And so it's weird to get success like that out of the gate where you're just treated like a fucking rock star right. and then have it taken away then taken away maybe four years later and then you spend 30 years late of your life trying to get back to where you were again like not even success wise right. just happiness wise well it's and, like and he said he had millions of, he had a lot of different jobs and he was also kind of blacklisted one of the guys yeah. who's he never did video games again he never did video games again or is that true i thought he did but I don't he know. never I successfully he did it yeah but i, I think it was one of the guys in the film, Seamus Buckley, may, Black, Blackley, maybe, or someone talked about how there's all these awards for video game pioneers. Yeah, like and Hall he's of Fame, never included. Lifetime Achievement. No, he's never been mentioned or honored or acknowledged. Which is unfair. Which, which is, is unfair. Completely and, unfair. And like really un, unrealistic. Yeah, the guy is clearly a pioneer. And he was in the very, very beginning foundations of home video game consoling, which yeah. is the, you know, now it's becoming more like. Uh, app games and stuff that's right, like right. the next frontier yeah, yeah. but for real like I, I, you know console gaming is the fucking market shareholder you know yeah. what I mean like and yeah. it probably will be forever as far as I'm concerned but 
Yeah, he totally got fucked, man. It's weird how life deals you a bag of shit. And so when they're at the excavation site, and there's like thousands of fans waiting, like to nerd see, boy, yeah. nerd fans, and the guy that wrote uh, uh, Ready Player One, he, he was drove there. down he drove in, in a, the Delo- he got George R. R. Martin's Delorean. George, so George R. R. Martin is also in the film, which cameo. is like total like nerd cred cameo yeah. thing. It was so <laughs> funny, and so he picks and he picks up a Delorean from George R. R. Martin. That's like the most nerd sense I've ever said in my <laughs> life. And then he drives down to New Mexico. Or yep, yeah, New, New Mexico. Mexico in this little town, and goes and he's there for the excavation and he has too. Et a stuffed Et next to him in the yeah, seat, wearing the hoodie, Elliot yep. hoodie. And when he gets there, it's literally like this line, a mile line of people, right. kids. There's all different ages too, which is funny, like little children. Oh yeah, and all guys, different ages. Total forty plus guys that were like young grew up folks. on the movie, young folks, old or old yeah. older people in their fifties. And it was funny because they kept looking and then first they found like a joystick top, a joystick topper like in the dirt. And then they found like a piece of an Atari and then they found one game and like we found E.T. And they were, everyone were going freaked wild. out. Yeah. And then they interviewed Howard, the guy, yeah. and he was like got really was emotional. Yeah, he was. He was like, like this there's is my whole life. Yeah. Down it was this... like buried. Yeah. You know, and now 30 years later to come back around and see it like lift it up and see all these people that are really into it. Yeah. And are like inspired by it and like want to know more about it and play the game and see what it was really all about. He's right. like that that is like emotional. He I got know. emotional, you know. I know. Poor and guy. He looks so different I and know. like yeah, it's it was a He's really had a hard time. Had a hard I hope go. this film gives him the notoriety he deserves or the uh, you know the pats on the back yeah, that like he a deserves. Second life. It, it should. I mean, yeah. it's sort of like that other video game, the Donkey Kong video, or not video game, the Donkey Kong documentary mm-hmm. about the uh, video game high scores. I think it's called like High Score or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, it's really sort of emotional documentary about the, um, the, there's this video game council that sort of keeps all the records mm-hmm. and there's this one guy in the small town who's like trying to break a million points on donkey kong really and like and he does it but he, he tapes it and usually tapes are allowed yeah. and he sends in the tape and then he gets a, a, a message back saying like sorry we cannot use this as credit like you, you didn't break it officially even though it was on tape what does and that mean he didn't me- break it officially because the guy who runs like the council is like best buds with the guy who holds the record no you gotta watch it yeah and then the guy that holds the record is a super like hot shot like video gamer because he holds the record for Pac-Man and he holds the record for yeah all Holy these different shit. games yeah, you gotta watch it. And this guy who broke the record and then was told he didn't, he's such a like down in the dumps guy and he has no. two kids and a wife and he has a really hard time. And then uh and then so he has to go to like the video game uh this place, this arcade in like fucking Rhode Island or something and uh-huh. prove to and beat it in person. Like you have to do it in person or something like that. And he doesn't do it and he can oh, never do it. No. And he only gets so much time. And then he goes back and he does do it at home and then that's accepted. But it's funny because the guy who holds the record right. submitted his tape and his tape was accepted. And like what? yeah, yeah. His tape was accepted by the guy because they're like best buddies, known each other twenty years. Oh, and his corruption. record Yeah, it was totally like that you got to watch it and um actually that documentary uh south park cites that as being the inspiration for the bono number two episode i I was literally just gonna say that sounds like the bono number two episode and it is and it is that's what south park is they watch it and there's a lot of like 
a pathos and emotion and stuff in that documentary. And it's all about this fucking arcade game, Donkey Kong. Damn. And he ends up beating the record by like 200,000 points. And so this guy is <laughs> Randy now. Randy Marsh yeah. really gets the biggest number of Kuricks and yeah, doesn't really win. The biggest win. crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then he doesn't win because Bono submits win one. Bono, yeah. He's like, I have actually taken the biggest crap again. And oh, like, that here's shows proof. you the genius of them, too. Yeah. And that documentary that is genius. It's, it's a but, really. So what's the final verdict? of it does he end up getting yeah he, he does. does but he doesn't okay. do it at the like he he hits a million okay which should be the record but since this sketchy guy submitted a video of like a million something he yeah. still technically didn't beat it but Boo. really he did because that guy the fucking hotshot guy he was never willing to play live like he never played live to, sh- to beat the record where this other poor schlub was. Ha- was playing live all day and all okay. night and this guy would show up and sort of watch over his shoulder like oh eight hundred thousand okay he hasn't broke it yet and he's like hey billy you want to play he's like i gotta go like he wouldn't play him back like live, it's like back rocky and apollo creed it's super sketch yeah it's <laughs> totally it's so funny rematch like, yeah they never do it and then he wow. goes home and he beats it and he gets the and he has he holds the record now for Does Donkey he, well Kong. what is what do you get for holding the nothing. record you okay get nothing. <laughs> you get absolutely so we're nothing. not talking about like a lot of money no there's nothing it's just like pride and it's stakes pride. and like your three-letter code at the top right that's, that's all you that's get. That's a lot to gamers. A S S. That's that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Well, that's the only funny thing I could think of with three letters. No. So uh, it's really worth seeing. It's it's emotional. It's heartfelt. It's well done. And it's informative. It's informative. You learn Even a lot if you're about... not a fan of video games, I mean, no, and, you, you know, don't it's have a, to be. what is interesting to me. It's like, and this is where this documentary kind of fits into our format perfectly because. I was uh, a young teenager at the time that this came out. So I was like target audience, even though I was a girl. And so I remember Atari days, very like the early days, very vividly. You, you know, you were were not alive, alive, but you but you were aware of the myth of this. When yeah. you started playing video games. Yeah, and I still grew up on Sega Genesis and NES, Super Nintendo. And I've sort of always had a console for every generation that's occurred out, up, up to PlayStation 3. Uh-huh. So I don't have the current-gen console, but yeah, as a kid. If anyone wants had, to yeah, sponsor. Yeah, any sponsors, we can review games. Oh, you know, by the way, we should mention that this documentary was Xbox first um, production, production like a netflix direct thing. to um box production xbox yeah. live xbox live yeah so that's kind of interesting that's a very interesting thing because yeah. it shows you because sony playstation has a their own original program too that you mm-hmm. can get on the playstation store and it stars charlotte copley from nice. all the Blancamp movies yeah uh, Blancamp movies and it's like a superhero show i haven't watched it but it's like produced by Sony PlayStation. Really? Yeah, okay. man. Like, they're all getting in while getting the getting's Getting in. Good. Everyone's getting into the content creation game. Yeah, it just seems to be work. Yeah. good model. So, uh, I would give that documentary a nine and a half, maybe. Yeah, nine, nine, nine and a half. Nine, nine and a half. At least a nine. At least, I'd say a solid nine. It's a real story. It's a real it's, story. Yeah, it's not just like, oh, gamers will love it. It's like it's, you've really like in, in, invested because it's about business, too. It's yeah. about the business yes. of Atari. It's not just yes. about this E.T. game. E.T. is sort of like... 
the metaphor for right. you know the face and the metaphor of the whole company sort of sinking into yep. time and just sort of being buried. Atari's yeah. been buried, you know. It's like hipsters wear Atari shirts as sort of like an ironic thing, but like Atari was the biggest. It was worth hundreds of hundreds millions of, of million. dollars. Yeah, you can't like it's hard to understand the magnitude of how huge they were. Yeah, they were the biggest game in town, literally. And and when this happened, it like and just they also they cite in the film about how the burial was like literally like Atari's funeral. Yep, yep, burying their secrets. So uh, the on the excavation was really like uncovering like Tutankhamun's tomb. You know, or the <laughs> lost ark. It's or the like lost the ark. Lost fucking ark, man. And, well, even at the end, they show all the different boxes in a warehouse. Yeah, and this warehouse like, and this guy like packing a box to the end of Raiders, and then stacking it on top yeah. of a box, and then walking away. Yeah, the credits roll. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, it's very well it's, done. It's very well done. Anyone would enjoy that. So that's Atari Game Over. Now available on Netflix. Check it out. Check it out. Which brings us to another game of. Except this one's a game of thrones, (laughs) of pones. Well, this week we uh, were hoping... Game of bones. There would be some justice, and there was a little bit of justice. Game of boners. (laughs) I want there to be a throne of boners. No. Boner throner. boners. Boner throne. Ramsey uh, Bolton is as horrible and evil as ever. We found that out. Yeah, um, they did one of their sneaky sneakies where it's like, you're like, oh, you know, fucking Theon's going to have another sort of chance to redeem himself. But no. And she's like, here, take this candle and put it in the highest peak of the blah, 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 on the furthest wall of the Well, because that older woman said, said uh, you still have friends in the north, put this candle in the window and I'll help you. And so she asks... Theon to do it and, and he's sort of like, says yes. you're know, Theon Greyjoy and, yeah. he, and he goes but then he goes to right Ramsey. to Ramsey right to Ramsey right away right away right away it's so funny too he's like yes right away Sansa so he just like first stop it's doesn't Ramsey. stop at the bathroom no or nowhere <laughs> right to Ramsey <laughs> right to Ramsey that's how like programmed the guy is. yeah it's sad but it's also kind of pathetic it's pathetic it's and pathetic so what does Ramsey do he freaking flays the flays, woman the old woman skins the old woman and hangs her up for all to see and then and, shows Sansa like having to see her well and we also see before this and the reason why she asks Theon to do this is because Ramsay basically locks her in a room all day and then comes in brutally rapes her and like beats her well they yeah. show her in the she's bed and she's bruised up and all bruised and like crying and, sore eyes and ugh, shit she's like you have to help me Theon please he's like okay cool and he's like first stop fucking Ramsay because he's like what could I how could I help you Reek and you're like fuck you stupid jerk yeah, and then the woman, the poor old lady, uh, gets skinned alive. Why? That was, I mean, I feel like it was unnecessary. And well, also, it's Sansa just, always gets, like, shown the horrors of other people. shown the horrors. Like, Joffrey's like, there's your dad's head. Yeah, Sansa's yeah. like, there's, here's this old lady's skinned body. Uh, and the guy you said, or the res even says, he's like, yeah, her heart gave out before I could skin her face, poor thing. And it's like, you sick fucker. I know. <laughs> it's so like, ah, oh, this show is a fucking pain in the ass. Well, and it goes to the conversation we had last week about this just like, it's too much. There's not enough justice. Okay, so here's the little justice we get. Uh, it's pretty cool justice, too. It's pretty too. cool justice. We, we, so cut, well, at one point. We see Cersei going in to see Marjorie, who's now in tatters in a cell. Dirty in her dirty, dirty, and she brings her this cell. plate of venison and says, "It's very good. I ate it myself a couple days ago." Yeah, fucking bitch. leftovers. And so, and and of course, Marjorie's like, "I know you 
did this. Get out of here, you bitch. So she goes right to Jonathan Price, you yeah, know, the like head of the, of the or whatever. yeah, and um, t- you know, talks to him. She's clearly in cahoots with him and she had told her son tom and that she was going to try to get marjorie out but of course she's not because she did this right and then we find that jonathan jonathan price gives this great speech and you knew that this was going to happen yeah. because you wouldn't put an actor like him in here if it was just going to be a small one potatoes. episode yeah. yeah one that's a thing as soon as he was like sh- uh, showing on camera like oh he's this is a real part like this is a main going to be a mainer mainer right. character and he mainer. gives her this one percenters suck speech and you're all going to pay basically and brings out her cousin who she used to have sex with and also who she got to kill her husband. Yeah. And he has basically confessed his sins to the monk people. And so, and, and Jonathan Price reveals, we know all that you've done and they throw Cersei in jail. Well, it's funny the way it plays out too, because it's the same thing that happens to the little fucking, uh, Marjorie's brother where you think everything's sort of in the clear and then like out comes the reveal. Yeah. Like, Oh, busted but you know what that was a bad reveal and you're talking about when they're being uh questioned and the squire his former lover comes out and says well there is a birthmark on his thigh i mean if he was his squire he would see him naked he would know about the birthmark he doesn't yeah. have to have sex with him to know to about it gay sex. so like to me there's some weakness in some of this the writing this season because like that just is implausible also i also hated this other scene where we see Braun, who's imprisoned in Dorne. Well, we should say that that scene with Cersei is like the end fucking scene of the that's episode. That's the end scene of the so episode. So that's how the episode ends. And it's cool because there's like some freaking like shit kicker nun who like sort of steps in front of the door. She's like, I'm taking out the trash yeah. to Cersei. It's like, who's this big burly nun that like handles the dirty work of like the women they arrest? Right. It was pretty funny because it's like, because it was really cool because Cersei thinks that she has everything in the fucking bag, man. Right. And they have this little conversation and it, it, it's just sort of like it's slowly revealed that it outsteps the cousin and she's like oh oh shit. oh shit and he's like yes he's told us lots about you well actually we should point out too that before that scene Littlefinger is talking to grandma Terrell and he tells and she's pissed she's like we killed Joffrey and now look what's happened to my family yeah. blah 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 and, and she had had a conversation with Jonathan Price too and he basically said fuck off I'm, I can't help you and Littlefinger says to Grandma Terrell, uh, I've brought you a gift in the form of a young, handsome man. Now, I guess we're assuming yeah. that's Loris, right? Or whoever that guy is, the now monk that was the cousin, the Lannister cousin. What the was Lannister name? cousin's name. He, I don't know his name. But, but we, I guess we think that, but to be honest, my first thought was that it was going to be the uh, Robert Baratheon's bastard son, the blacksmith, the who blacksmith we haven't seen bastard. again since season four. Since he was diddled since by he went, the Red Witch or whatever. Yeah, but then he went off. He was rescued and went off on a boat on his own. So I thought maybe that's what it was. But I guess it's it's because then we cut to the scene with Cersei. So it looks like Littlefinger maybe still has a hand in causing things to happen all over the place. He always has a hand. Yeah. He He always has at least one little finger. One. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, okay, so Dorne, uh, Jamie's there. He sees his daughter. She doesn't know that it's his daughter. And she doesn't really want to talk to him because we've got to go. And she's like, why? My mother sent me here. Yeah, I'm marrying this guy. I'm in love with him. I'm happy here. And you don't fucking know me, uncle. See ya. Dad. 
So she leaves, and then we see Braun in a cell, and he's across cells from the assassin women. And there's yeah. this, and he sings, which is actually kind of cool because Braun could really sing. Braun, he's yeah, like Braun singing. Braun is singing pretty good. He's a pretty good singer. And then he gets in a conversation with the one girl of like, am I the best beautiful girl that you ever saw? Which was stupid, first of all. And then she really? starts showing her tits. She starts opening, showing her tits, and it's like, and it's like come How about on. now? These powerful assassin women, and all you're going to do is reduce her to like caring about being the most beautiful woman and showing her tits? Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be like some sort of reverse power move. In the sense of like, uh, you can see my tits, and I'm so pretty, and you, I don't even care. Well, uh, they were a much supposedly much more significant characters in the book, and so this is kind of like a lot of people were not happy with what they did with them. And then she basically tells him that she lanced, she stuck him with a poisonous thing that took. Yeah, because Bron to... gets cut in the melee when they're fighting the girls while they're trying to get back the daughter in the last episode. And so Bron gets like a little cut in his arm. And as she's sort of like showing her various parts of her body to him, he starts to get woozy and yep. sick. And then his nose is bleeding. Right. And it was called the like the the slow release venom or something. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, and then she has a necklace. And on the necklace is the only antidote. And she's like, who's the prettiest girl now? Sailor, right? <laughs> Sailor, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you, uh, uh, you are. Like, I swear. And so she, she tosses it to him yeah. and drinks it down. And, and Bron's okay. I'm glad Bron didn't die because it'd but, be like an unceremonial way either, to die. But it's little. It's kind of like bung bung. Wait. So did we see Khaleesi in this episode? Yeah. At the yeah, very we end. did. The gift. She well because she's watch. Oh yeah. So she's watching the. We see um, Tyrion and Jorah are about to go into do the whole freaking Christians and Lions thing, and yeah, the um, gladiator sports pits of death thing. And there, he Jorah's not fighting yet. There's a whole bunch of people fighting, and and Khaleesi's watching. He hears her, yeah, and he gets he gets out. He gets out there and he kills everybody. Fights everybody. Well, he actually doesn't, he doesn't kill, kill them. them. He, he sort of incapacitates them. them and like sort of knocks them out. Yeah, because she wants. She's getting ready to leave because she's, she's like, not happy. This about is all too the brutal. Yeah. Because it's too brutal, right. and she's ready. And the guys keep saying, "Like, no, it's customary for the queen to watch. She got to watch all the way through." Right. And so Jorah takes his fucking opportunities. Like, quick goes out and like takes out everybody, and then he takes off his helmet and reveals that it is I, really Maximus. <laughs> and, then, and then she's like, "Get him out of my yeah, sight." Yeah, she doesn't react favorably. No, she's like, "Get the fuck out of here, motherfucker!" And then, and then, sure enough, the the dwarf, the imp, is trying to escape, and it was sort of like no, some he weird. Comes right up to her to talk. No, but he's chained and well, he can't get out. Well, that's before that, yeah. But that's how he gets out. So he's chained and there's like this oddly like humorous moment where there's sort of like a big oaf and he's trying to pull the chains off and the big oaf is looking at him and then he pulls out a sword and then, and and then he go. chops the chain and that's such a like old hat sort of fucking like yeah. exchange like that's been done so many times right. in movies where you think they're gonna chop your hand off and they chop the chain and they don't say yeah, anything they just give like they give like a slow nod like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then he like thank you my big stupid friend and then he like, <laughs> runs away you know it's just like an odd way to like free Tyrion from his shackles you know it was very funny and then he comes out like no my lady like I am the gift that he speaks of yeah. I'm Tyrion Lannister, and yeah. she's sort of like, "Oh shit!" So, <gasps> so we well, so this is significant in that 
the two of them meet, and in the books, they have yet to meet because George R. R. Martin dragged it out continuously, like making people think, okay, they're going to meet, he's on his way to meet her, blah, 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 and never, like he does, never finishes it. So in the books, they have yet to meet. So this right. is significant in terms of, uh, you know, satisfying fans of the books get like let the Khaleesi and Tyrion meet. Well, it's also significant in that they're like, yes, we are straying from the books now. This is yeah. where we've decided to really go off book. And like, you can see more and more every episode that this is happening. Well, yeah. I mean, they totally went off book with the Sansa marrying Ramsey and yeah. yeah. So this is like the big one though. This is like, this is a, yeah. This has never happened for fans of the books. We're giving it to you. Giving it to you. But I, I, I feel like there's still, they're relying too much on kind of senseless. I hate to say senseless violence. I sound like you know, like a grandma politician's wife, but it's grandma dingus. But it, I mean, it is a little over the top. The skinning of the old lady and the freaking. I mean, there's just no. Okay, yeah, he's a big sociopath. I mean, there's nowhere to go with that. Like it's weird because when I was more on board with the show, I didn't really notice the violence. Like yeah. it was interesting and it's extreme, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" But you're like, you're sort of on board for the ride. So you're, I didn't really care. I wasn't like, "Oh, I can't watch this." Like, well, except the Viper in the Mountain. I mean, that was like the one where I think we were like that <gasps> almost took me over to the point where. I can't do it. Yeah, but I mean, that that's what he does in the book. He really yeah. does crush his head with his bare hands. But it is because you get so close to fucking, uh, you know, the Viper and then, then to be killed that way. I think it's because everyone liked him. Everyone I know. liked him as an actor and a character. I know. And so, like, to get, like, the most unjust way of dying. Like, oh, my God. Stupid fault, too. Yeah, it was. He was just, well, I mean, his sister was, like, raped and crushed her head. So he's, like, very, you know, impassioned. But it kind of got the best of him. Well, yeah. it definitely got the best of him. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, even then. Like it was extreme, and like yeah, but I don't know. Even with Ned Stark, and even with all the horrible things Joffrey has done right. unjustly, I was still like, yeah, that's just the vibe of the show. But I feel like now that the story isn't as moving as moving along as well. Mm. Like the Red Wedding, like it was so extreme, but you're still like, man, yeah, that's the it's show. Good it's good television. Yeah, that's like what to you've come to expect from the show. But I, I don't know, and that's that's I think it's another symptom of killing off everybody is. You're sort of like less invested, and even though you're not supposed to be because the, the the writing is so powerful and the storytelling is so good, but after a point, you're like, there's nobody else left to kill, right? And so you're not as invested as anybody else. That's yeah, because still you're alive. Your, oh, yeah. and we forgot about uh, Sam and Gilly. You know, we're kind of going through this episode from the end to the yeah, beginning. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sam and Gilly. There's a scene where Gilly almost gets raped by these two guys on the Night's Watch, and Sam comes in and they beat the shit out of him. Yeah, and then he, Ghost comes in. The yeah, the um, dire, dire wolf. wolf John John's, John's dire, dire wolf. wolf. Yeah, comes and in. Saves and like, him. how did he get into the kitchen? That's what I wanted. Does the, I don't the, know. the wolf hang out in the kitchen? Maybe. Maybe. He's sort of like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in here, dog? He Giant wolf dog. Yeah, it just shows moments. up. Maybe he's just a ghost. He could just go through walls and yeah. stuff. But then Sam like his, gets his cherry popped by Gilly. He loses, <laughs> he loses his sacred knight V-card. Yep. 
he, he which he, I don't know about that because I mean he's so he breaks his vows. Yeah, I don't know if Sam would break his vows. I guess he would. I guess maybe he after would. that that passionate ass whooping he got or something, he's like, yeah, fuck it, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? You only live once. She's like nursing him back to health and then mounts him, gets on top of on him on his big belly, on his big <laughs> his big tub tub. Yeah, it was funny. But the whole beating, like almost raping her thing, and I don't know. I mean, like I think it's exactly what you said. When I was more invested in the show, these things you didn't notice though upsetting. As much. You didn't notice. You noticed, but you, you noticed. Were kind of like like you said, this, this is, is the world it is. Yeah. But and now it's just like fuck. Really? Are you gonna really do that? Now she's getting raped. There's now like a rape quota. Raped. Every yeah. quota, every episode, there's like a rape quota and stuff. And it's a like fuck. Skinned quota. A skinning quota. Yeah. Everyone's got to get. Somebody's getting skinned. Someone's getting skinned. Skinned alive. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't care. Like, I'm so desensitized to violence. It's really more like if it's good storytelling. You know what I mean? Yep. Because, like, ah, oh, yeah, you skinned her. You know, if I don't care, then it's just like, yeah, that's a skinned that's woman. That's such a product of your generation to make that statement. I'm so desensitized to violence. Is it? Yeah. I think, I think that's so. just the fucking day of the world we live in, man. Well, it is. But, I mean, I don't think my generation... Maybe they are now, but we certainly didn't grow up being desensitized to violence in the same way because we didn't have the accessibility to it. Yeah, I mean, we like my generation. We grew up on fucking Predator and Die Hard and all the action well, movies I grew of up the nineties. Die Hard too. Yeah, but like I would grew up like I was like fucking five and six yeah. watching it. You know what I mean? You that's were true. That's 25 true. Twenty-five or whatever. Yeah. No, twenty-five. <laughs> Thanks a lot. A teenager. Yeah, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Uh, but so I don't know. I mean, you know, I want to, of course, see. I mean, now that they did the whole thing with Cersei, it's kind of like, well, you gave us that. So let's see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm curious to know. Because now, like, Cersei, all of her power has been stripped away. And he, if what's his Tommen couldn't free Marjorie, he can't free fucking Cersei. No. And he's probably not going to want to after he finds out more and more of what, like, her connections are to having, uh, you know his bride thrown in prison yeah you know so it'll be interesting to see if cersei finally have her power stripped away completely and it's funny that it took like the powers of god to sort of sort all this well, stuff out. that's not entirely surprising because i mean when you think about it and i read a, a review on from the atlantic about this where they talked about how in the book the um the rise of the religious cult is a lot more significantly spent they spend more time with them and they spend more time with the masses in the books whereas mm -hmm. in the tv show we really only spend time with the one percenters but when you think about any kind of historical thing where people the one percenters are shitting on the masses religion is something that always sort of rises up and takes over as a power in some ways and it prevails and yeah. you know it's like it seems like the inquisition you know it seems like we've got a like new inquisition here you know it definitely and or and in it's it's you know also reminiscence of kind of like the French Revolution. It's like yeah, we'll see. So the, to me, it's kind of that's interesting to see where they're going to go. Although it did sort of spring up very quickly. Like I would have liked to to see more development of the the rising you know mood of the streets, which bore you know which this was born out of. Whereas we just sort of like all of a sudden the religious folks are taking over and they're in power. And it was yeah. a little abrupt the way they did it. On well, it didn't start till the first episode of this season. Right. And it was sort of introduced just subtle. by 
it was introduced when the cousin just sort of shows up in robes and a shaved head. And you're sort of like, oh, what what happened to him? And it's like, oh, it's not just him. It's this giant fucking overhaul of the city that this whole religious movement right. with the taking over the brothel and all that stuff, parading that diddler out in the street. Yeah. Like, where did all this come from? This was not referenced to once yeah. in the entire program. And we're all supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's a thing now, I guess. Yep. That's a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. Okay, sure. Well, that's what they were citing is that it, in the book, it's much more of a thing. So it's like it really did for the TV viewers. It did sort of, you know, jump out at us. But now that it's here, it's kind of it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Yeah. I wonder why they sat on it for so long. Maybe just because there were so many other stories to tell. And they're finally like, okay, we'll introduce the fucking stupid religious cult now. Yeah. You know, now that now that we've gotten, you know. Viper is dead and fucking the Starks are dead and everybody else of importance is dead. We'll introduce the whatever cult. Yeah, well, that's cool. Tywin's dead. Tywin's dead. So who's running? Who's in charge of the throne? Like, that's the thing. It's like now who's in charge of King's Landing? Really? Nobody but these religious guys when you think about it. Because Tommen's mm-hmm. useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cersei, who was the last Lannister of power, really, at least... In a, in well, because the uncle's gone. Way. Tywin's brother went back to wherever fucking Kings, no, not Kings Westeros or wherever, wherever he went back to the Iron Island. Casterly Rock. Yeah, Casterly Rock. Yeah, the Lannister's home. Yeah, and so he's back there. And it's weird that religious law is like supersedes, you know, like political law. So it's like, was in that if that's the case, is the king ever really in power? Like, I don't understand how this can hold true, like, well, indefinitely. Well, it holds true in reality when you think about the Catholic Church and the Vatican. Yeah, it definitely holds true in the world we live in, where most of our laws and policies are made off of, like, people's morals and their own, like, religious perspectives and opinions, as opposed to what's better for people social life and civilized life versus just your opinion on someone else's fucking lifestyle yeah. you know and like religious opinion you know like get your fucking religion out of my fucking politics well it's supposed to be out there's supposed to be a separation of church and state but it, yeah not exactly that's an interesting reality. parallel though yeah. for the show to take where it's like yeah the religious law is the one that comes in and sort of like takes over everything after all of this back and forth for the throne some fucking guy in robes can just take over it all by like the gods whatever ding dong seven heads of the seven stars right it's kind of stupid it's kind of stupid and dumb stupid and dumb well we'll see how it plays out uh we'll uh be back with uh, another recap of that yeah so we have some other news some sort of quick news they're doing a something that I'm pretty excited about, uh, or they're doing a, a documentary on what was going to be the first Justice League movie, cool. which was George Miller, was the one who does all of the Mad Max movies, was going to direct, and now that movie is getting a documentary about how it all went to shit or just fell apart, mm. and which is sort of in uh in line with the other documentary called the the death of superman lives which right. is a documentary about the tim burton superman that never got made and it was starring nicholas cage and kevin smith was writing the script and kevin smith has even talked about how he's had a falling out with tim burton and like they mm-hmm. don't they don't talk or something like that he's very open about all that stuff and then 
uh, just this movie, I guess, that Superman lives gives like a lot of insight to why it didn't work and mm-hmm. all of the concept art and costuming and screen testing that they did. So I really want to see that. And then now, like, someone probably saw that model and was like, well, let's make a movie about this Justice League that never happened because mm-hmm. um, Army Hammer was going to be playing Batman. I remember that. Okay. DJ Cat- Catrona was going to play Superman. Never heard of him. Megan Gale, who I'd also never heard of, was going to play Wonder Man. Uh, Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Man. Wonder, Wonder Man. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Adam Brody was going to play The Flash. Oh, I know him. Okay. Yeah, I sort of know him. He's been around for a while. And then yeah. there's a bunch of other people, too. Uh, Common, the rapper and now Who's actor, gonna was going to be Green Lantern. Oh, so, so they were going to go with that version the, of Green Lantern. Yeah, okay. the Jon Stewart version. Then another guy, this guy Santiago Cabrera, was going to play Aquaman. So they went in the same direction where they were casting like dark and swarthy for Aquaman versus blonde, which is what he is, which is blonde, blue eyed, sort yeah. of like Slavic or not Slavic, Scandinavian. Yeah. And then Teresa Palmer was playing Talia Al Ghul. Zoe Kazan was playing Iris Allen. I'm guessing that's Barry Allen's wife, mother. Hughes Keys Byrne was going to play Martian Manhunter. Iris was his wife. Yeah. Which which is the coolest one of all, Hughes Keys Burn, because he's the one who plays in Morton Joe and uh, Fury Road Mad Max, and he also played Toe Cutter in the original Mad Max. Mm. So for him to play Martian Manhunter would have been really yeah, cool. Yeah, that would have been cool. Really cool. And that was, you know, it was announced in 2007, it was supposed to come out in 2009, and it was, uh, the plug was pulled. So they're going to make a documentary. I don't know why. We'll find out in the documentary. In the documentary. Yeah. Until that comes, I think Death of Superman Lives is out now if at least i think it's it comes in, out this summer there was a special premiere of it they're doing premieres summer that it's stuff. released in theaters i in think June. they've done they've done some uh film festivals right and stuff so yeah i don't know it probably gets some sort of limited release but i do i really want to see that it's exciting to see what's going on with that and also um the it movie lost their director the new it movies they're doing the one and two yeah um, the director the guy that did true detective season one is like out He's, he's he backed out over creative differences. But I think they made an announcement today that it's been they've got someone else. Yeah, something about budgets. It was a thirty million dollar budget for both movies. Oh no, for the just for the first movie, and then the second one was supposed to have a larger budget, and apparently that was a point of contention. Huh. But they were saying that the same people that are making this were Warner Brothers or no New Line. They they did the conjuring and the conjuring only cost twenty million to make and really? it made a lot of money yeah twenty million mm. and so you know they're probably thinking for it thirty million okay you should be able to make that work or right. whatever and it's funny because he was saying he's been working on it as a project independently himself the director for years like he wanted to do this as a project uh-huh. so for him to back out must have been some yeah pretty yeah. serious you know something you know so that's a bummer but I still I still am interested in you know a new. Uh, sort of new spin on that that story for the ages yeah and then um some other news uh world war z2 was announced um and of course brad pitt's doing it there's no cast announcements yet but it's going to be in uh the summer of 2017 and they announced that it's gonna be go up against uh uh, Fantastic Four 2, which I think mm-hmm. is smart. And apparently they had like a lot of back and forth trying to figure out which one of these many superhero and Star Wars reboot movies that they could put it up against. And that was the one that made the most sense in terms of 
would probably do the best. Yeah, because yeah. the first World War Z did make a lot of money. It made a ton of money, actually. It made a lot more money. It, it than made they more expected. money than it should have, based on all the problems. And so the new the director for this version is the guy who did The Impossible, which was a really good film. So and had some giant, massive, you know, sequences of like. With, destruction yeah and, so yeah. i think it, it could be interesting it makes sense yeah and he was a good director and he's proven himself to be a good director um so that i'm excited i'll go see that i'll go see that i'll see it and oh max brooks is co-writing the screenplay which is great i yeah. mean that's great hopefully you know they can do some interesting stuff with the story because the book was so big it's such a there's so many stories in the book right and the book is really good for anyone that is curious or on the fence about checking out the book it's much better than the movie although the movie is good in its own right to uh, in certain respects uh the book is really its own thing it's a really unique storytelling uh for any book for mm. any story you know so i would anyone who's curious to read the book you can get it for fucking 10 bucks on right. amazon you know it's a great book um I think the last thing we should talk about is the new revelations of uh, the Suicide Squad, these pictures that are, that are sort of being guerrilla released on YouTube and Instagram and people are filming because I'm not really into some of the style choices that mm. I'm seeing here. We have uh, Jared Leto or Leto as the Joker, which I think is a good idea as an actor, but... Whoever's doing the like design, the costume design, when they released Production that photo design. of him with all the tattoos, there's a lot of flack on that. And then now they're showing these pictures of like him and he has like a Joker car and it's a fucking like Lamborghini Aventador or some fucking car with like and it's like purple <laughs> chrome with gold accents. <laughs> and like sparkles. And like sparkles. <laughs> and it has like that floor lighting like underneath the car that like no. it looks like fast and the furious Ooh. and uh fuck that you know what i mean yep. i don't know like because when you look at the timeline of jokers like jack nicholson's joker was like mobster gangster mm-hmm. and then you know christopher nolan joker was sort of like anarchist nihilist sort of you know almost like uh terrorist mm-hmm. like urban terrorist but then this joker is like sort of like guido playboy it looks like it looks like this character guido playboy he looks like playboy gangsta with yeah like holster under his you know whatever polyester blazer and his shirt open with his chest out and he's yeah. in a fucking purple chrome car like i trust mm-hmm. david ayer as a filmmaker because mm-hmm. fury was a really good true telling of a world war ii story and gritty looking and and like yeah the production and the shooting and the lighting and the uh you know the production design was all really like true to form it really was sort of reminiscent of saving private ryan in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like the what he was able to capture visually so i have like a lot of i'm holding out a lot of hope but just watching some of the stuff. And Batman's, Batman's in it. Batman's in it. We assume it's Ben Affleck. Yeah, we assume it's Ben Affleck. It must be. It must same be. Same costume. Same costume. And, like, it's the same universe now. And there's a, someone released a video, and it shows, like, Batman on the top, on the hood of the... Cheesy car. Cheesy car. Like, driving through. They're filming in Toronto. So someone was filming it. You know, a fan, and like, on the barricade there filming it. And it's like, okay. I, I mean, that's cool that Batman's in the Suicide Squad. They probably didn't want to release that to the I'm public. I'm sure so they soon, didn't. You know, because especially because with this movie coming out, is Suicide Squad coming out after Batman vs Superman? It must be. 
Uh, it's coming after, yeah, but it's coming before Justice League, I believe. It is, yeah, yeah, it is because Justice League's 2017. Right. I think Suicide Squad's like the end of 2016 or something like mm. that. But yeah, so it's interesting to see that. I'm still holding out hope because I have I have faith in David Ayer. And he knows what he's doing. The whole look of the cast is very sort of what we talked about before. It looks kind of, it's oh, by the way, it's 2016. Uh, release date is August 4th, 2016. Wow, it's only like a few months after Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. They're really pushing it. They're pushing it. They're cramming it all in there. I gotta say. Had they done the other Justice League movie in, 20, in 2009, mm-hmm. it would have like much, they'd have gotten a lot farther along in the process but i guess they just it was the wrong vision of it you know what's unfortunate mm-hmm. about that too because george miller I, I would have liked to have seen his justice his league justice league yeah, yeah and martian manhunters in it that yeah. would have been cool he's not in this he's not one. in this one which is a big bummer and but there's no cyborg in the, the other in one that one hmm. but there is a cyborg in the new one the one that's coming out yeah which whatever it's fine. Uh, yeah, it would have been interesting to see George Miller's uh, take on it because he's fucking genius. Yeah. And just to see him do something with superheroes in the DC universe would have been like really, really cool. Yeah, really, really cool. But that was pre Nolan era Batman, too. So No, it wasn't. 2008. Batman it Begins came out, came 2008. out in 2005. Oh, it did? Yeah. Dark Knight came out in 2008. Well, maybe that had something to do with like. Maybe. Not merging right or something. Yeah, well, maybe they didn't want to have two intersecting Batmans. Yeah. Because it's like, you can't have Christian Bale's Batman and then now, like, Army Hammer going to play right. Batman. It would be weird to have two Batmans in theaters yeah. separately. And I'm sure they talked to Christopher Nolan, and I'm sure Christian Bale was like, no, I don't want to do that. I yeah. I do Justice League. Uh, you yeah, know, I I'm have sure these... he didn't. I'm sure... Yeah, he wanted to get it done. Like, as far as I know, Christian mm-hmm. Bale wanted that done. Like, three movies. I'll do I'm th- three movies. I'm, I'll never do this again. Yeah. Never. You know, uh, he's so, an actor. Actor. Yeah, he he's, he he's, wants he to, act. to act. He he's, wants to be in other things. Yeah, and he doesn't want to just be Batman. Right. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to go to comic cons for the rest of his right. life, signing pictures of himself from twenty years ago. Does you know, Ben Affleck really want to do that? I mean, I guess it doesn't no. matter because he's a director now. But it's like it. It what I mean. Besides the obvious, really, Ben Affleck when it was announced. I'm kind of surprised he was willing to do it because I thought yeah. he was on the path of really moving into more of like direct being at the mm-hmm. director guy instead yeah. of like taking the role of Batman. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a big deal. And it's also kind of like going back to his like Armageddon days when you think about it. Yeah, it's, it's like, like blockbuster. blockbuster guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like it's sort of an ego thing where it's like they he kind of got the offer, was in talks, and he's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to be Batman. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be Batman? Well, but... apparently Christian Bale was like on the fence about it for a long time. It hmm. took him a lot to figure out. Maybe it did Ben Affleck too. But yeah, when Christian Bale did, he was like 35. Ben Affleck's like 44. Right. Or 43. No, yeah, I think he is. Yeah, forty-two. And so yeah, he probably has to do like, six moves. That's the thing. Like, if you're gonna be Batman, you got to be Batman six times. Right, you know what I mean? right, right. So it's like you're gonna be fucking fifty when this is all done, yeah. or forty-eight, or whatever. Yeah. You know, so that's a big commitment. It does seem super ego-driven, kind of. Like, you really want to be Batman? You yeah. know, there's, there's a lot <laughs> yeah, to take. You could do Argo too. Yeah, you got to be fucking in <laughs> shape for too. ten years. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to stay in that sort of condition. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Like he's. He just he's doing Batman versus Superman. Then he has to go to Toronto and film all these Suicide Squad. Yeah, because we didn't know that he was going to be in it. I mean, no. we sort of like we're thinking, well, I hope how is he not going to be in it? Right. But but I also want to know how is that going to fit into the whole schematic of the Suicide Squad story? 
because there's like eight of them you know yeah. nine of them and so is this whole joker batman story how much time how of much that time is that going to take in the movie because there's harley quinn there's killer croc there's freaking rick flag there's all these characters in the suicide squad so to have like a the will smith as deadpool like how much of the movie is going to be devoted to batman versus joker same thing could be said for batman versus superman, superman. yeah and by the way ben affleck's name is finally on the suicide God. cast which yeah. they had to do obviously i mean everyone knows it now yeah. i mean there was rumors when he was like spotted in toronto like th- a month ago mm-hmm. more than that like ben affleck in toronto could he be shooting for suicide you find out that maybe he you know who else is now on that list is common common it does not say who his character is but he is listed as a cast member for suicide squad that's weird it wouldn't be the flash i mean it wouldn't be green lantern it wouldn't be green lantern right i don't think so that'd be weird to introduce green lantern in a suicide squad movie and the thing about that is like whatever character you are in the dc universe at least that's true to marvel you can't be two different characters in the same universe yeah like once you're cast that's who you are so he may not be the uh, Green Lantern, which was probably true because that other movie is a completely different, you know, right. take on it. Who do you think is going to be Green Lantern? They haven't announced that yet. But no, everyone um, else has been announced except they haven't announced Martian Manhunter because they haven't even put him into no, the fold. Yeah, I don't know but if he's even in it. No, I don't think he is. It's weird. He's such an important character. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who's going to be Green Lantern. A lot of people have their own opinions. I haven't really thought of anyone that comes to mind. It's right. Like he would be the perfect Green Lantern. Well, Tyrese has been campaigning hard for it. He's oh, like yeah. put out some fan fan art of himself in the costume. As Green Lantern. And I mean, the fact that like common... I don't know. I mean, like mm-hmm. I could see them going in that direction of the character just because they want to balance it out ethnically too yeah there's a lot of ethnic Um, balance yeah a lot of that because there's so many in the comics so many just white characters right so it's like uh we can't do a movie with like a blockbuster movie with eight white people at the helm you know what i mean and that's fair i mean that's fine that's like jason moma as aquaman like if they casted army hammer as aquaman it wouldn't it wouldn't you know there's just too much too many white faces too many white faces yeah I mean, that's, yeah, and that's cool. Like, give people work. Give other people yeah. work. You know what I mean? Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for us for this week. Does it wrap it up for us this week? Yeah, I believe it does. <laughs> anything else coming out? What's coming out this week? Any, any movies or anything? This well, movie the Entourage movie is about to drop, and they've been, like, promoting the heck out of it. Yeah, that um, movie. Yeah, sure. Know, That's a movie I'd watch on TV. Yeah, I don't know. I'd maybe see it. I don't know. I, I haven't decided whether I want to go see it. It's like certainly it'll be interesting to see. Um, nothing's really coming out this weekend that's new because everyone's promoting the existing films that are out. Mm-hmm. So the ne- it's like June 3rd's the next mark, and that's the Entourage movie, basically. Oh, okay. And then uh, June, uh, well, and also June 5th is Spy. Yes, yes. Melissa McCarthy's. Film. Someone was saying she's like the, the the Rob the new Rob Schneider of comedy. Where it's <laughs> what? Like, in the sense that like all these different movies and it's all the same character in yeah. a sense and like remember huh. Rob Schneider had that run of like Deuce the Bigelow Deuce and the Animal yeah. and the, all these movies and, and it's just the like same Rob Schneider's thing. back. Like South Doing Park did a something. take on that. Rob Schneider is a carrot. <laughs> like, yeah. It's twenty four carrot comedy. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kinda like yeah, it's definitely 
saturated market for comedy. Well, I predict that movie probably will do better than her last summer's movie. Um, and also Insidious Chapter 3 starring Dermot Mulroney is coming out that same weekend. And that, I would maybe say... I'd probably see Insidious 3. And of course, then the weekend after that is uh, Jurassic World. Cool. Yeah. Well, all right. So lots to talk about in the future. And uh, we'll see you next week, jerks. We'll see you jerks next week. Till then. Till then. You're a jerk. Bye.